keys to the kingdom. And uh, we kind of begin this little uh, series because it's very important we understand that keys do two things. It, it, it locks things up and, and it unlocks things. And so Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And I will tell you this morning that it's very important. There's some things in our life that need to be under lock and key and kept away from us. Sometimes that God has the ability of locking things up to keep us from reacting or responding to certain things. And then sometimes he gives us keys to unlock things. So last couple of weeks, we've been talking about keys to unlock things for the blessings of God. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about keys to the kingdom. He's given you a key that you would never be locked up again. No man can lock you up. Nobody can. If, if you're like Otis Campbell on Andy Griffin's show, he knows where the keys is. <clears throat> and uh, he, he, he locks himself up and he unlocks himself. So we're not telling you to be that kind of guy, but um, usually with ministers or preachers that are fast and loose with scriptures, they'll produce saints that are fast and loose. And I'm not that guy. I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube because I get bored, but there's a whole lot of stuff on YouTube of something that's loud and fast and exciting and motivating, and people are just jumping like a frog in a frying pan. But if you're not careful, you can handle the Word of God so quick and so fast and so loose, you forgot what you read. And I'm not that guy. I want to be the guy that will help you with great care and great accuracy to rightly divide the word of truth. Whether you agree or not, but it's up to you to investigate it. Just because it sounds a little different, then study the thing. Find out if it's true. And you'll find out that, that it is true. Just because it may be new to you, but it is true. Then my father, when he, before he passed away, he would say that the people in the church are looking at you like a bull at a new gate. Well, if you don't know what that means when a when a cow had, a bull had free reign and finally the farmer or the rancher put up a new gate, he wasn't really that happy with a gate that kept him from the other cows he wanted to go graze with. And so um, I don't want you to be that to me. I, I don't, I don't, I, I just want to be with very care and accuracy, rightly divide the word of truth. So in doing so, this is kind of how we begin. That 21 times that Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like. 21 times he said it. And, and I told you a couple of weeks ago, the difference between a kingdom and, and, and a religion is a kingdom has citizens and a religion has members. <laughs> I'm not a religious man. I belong to a kingdom. Yeah. And the kingdom has a king and the word kingdom is two words in the Greek, is a king with his domain. The word dom means domain, and it means that the king that I serve and the king who saved me by his grace, he has full domain, not only in my life, but upon this earth and in the heavens. And, and the Bible said that the, the earth is the Lord's footstool and all the subjects and, and the inhabitants belong to him. I am what you refer to as a kingdom now man. I'm living in the kingdom right now. And I'm not telling you it's perfect on the outside, but I'm telling you it's perfect on the inside. And I made a statement to Brenda before church. You, you, you need to hear this and write it down. We're living in a post-Christian generation. 
Come next Sunday, I'll prove it. I'm not talking about a religious generation. We're living in a, in a post-Christian generation. No longer, no longer is this nation under the guidelines of the principles of, of, of the Holy Scriptures of God. We're way beyond that. And if you don't believe that, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1 before you go to bed at night and read it, and you'll see that God darkened their heart. It's called evening shadows. That even though they knew God, but they did not glorify him. They did not set him apart. So God turned them over and he darkened their heart. It's where we get a word for Eve, like Eve in the Bible. Evening. And what's funny about that is that when she sinned or the thing happened, he called her Eve and someone said, well, that means the mother of all living. Listen, that's not what it means. He said, we walked in the perfect light of God. We had the blessings of God within this perimeter. But because what just happened, the evening shadows of darkness has now come upon us. So Roman deals with it. Paul deals with Rome. And so when I say that, I'm telling you that there's going to be saints of God and men of God and women of God. But I will tell you, if, you, if you're looking for a great outpouring to awaken the nation of the United States, you're probably not going to see it. That's prophecy. Now, what will happen is, is the wicked will continue to get wickeder. Is that a right word? But the kingdom of heaven will become growing stronger and stronger within people. And you're going to see opposition within the church. You're going to see friction because there's wheat and tares going on and all these things. But I will tell you, this is why you really need to get the principles of the word of God in you and protect it for whatever that you do, because you're going to need it in the days to come. Really. So the reason why that he said 21 times that Jesus said that that. The kingdom of heaven is like because he's telling you he's giving them an illustrated sermon of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so remember what it said in Matthew 14, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're looking at him. John the Baptist is just baptizing people up a storm and he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word at hand means he's standing right here in front of you. God's kingdom, God's authority, God's king is standing right here. And the question is, did they get it? And the answer is no. And we're no different from those people that were eyeballing Jesus. And, and I have to ask the question, do we get it? And I hate to say the answer is a lot of times no. So the reason why that's important, it's found in Matthew chapter 16, dealing with kingdom principles. I'm dealing with kingdom principles. Matthew chapter 16, dealing with right before he talks about, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, plural. He says this. Matthew 16, 13, 14. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, they asked his disciples, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man am? This is an age-old question. And notice what they said. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're my, Jeremiah or the other prophets. Notice something funny about this. They're all prophets of the Old Testament. John the Baptist was an Old Testament prophet even though that he was a New Testament, but anything that is pre-crucifixion and resurrection is an Old Testament prophet because he's still prophesying about the one to come. Every one of these are a prophet. See, they, they labeled Jesus wrong. They were labeling him as a prophet and he wasn't a prophet. He was a king. 
Because back then you could be born in infants that weighing eight pounds and three ounces. And because of something happened to your mother or father or your father, and they were killed in action, but still yet the throne belonged to you, even though you were still in diapers. You didn't get that. If a, a king had a son that was an infant, his only son, and the king went out in battle while his son was still in diapers, and the king did not come back, everything that belonged to the king belonged to the child in the diapers. The child had to grow up into the authority of the kingship, but he was still king while he was in the manger in the outside of Bethlehem, if you will. He's not awaiting to be king. He's not waiting you to get your consensus right that he's king. He was called the king of the Jews. The Magi's got it right. We're looking for the king of the Jews. What do you mean the king of the Jews? He's in diapers. He's still king, but he has not yet taken that role and position naturally. Good morning. So they labeled him wrong. They thought he was a prophet. And they say, some say, you know how that goes. It's them saying among themselves. So here's the question. Was Jesus a prophet in itself? And the answer is no. Jesus never really claimed him to be a prophet, as they said. He throws in a couple of verses, and he said, and as a matter of fact, in Luke 4, he said, no prophet is, has honor in his own country. That means nobody in, in the own town honors the guy that has the anointing of God. I understand that. But he, he wasn't likening himself to a prophet, which he kind of, but in himself, he was not calling himself a prophet. And the reason why I can tell you that this is important is because this, how many believes that God himself is a prophet? No. Prophets only prophesy or say what God has already said. So let's back up in case you live south of Wilson. God, the Father, is not a prophet. Can we agree to that? Yes. Pretty simple. What do prophets do? In the New Testament, it's foretell and foretell, prophetess. Some predict the future in the Old Testament and some declare that what God has already said. That's what we do here every Sunday morning. I don't predict what the stock market will do. I just foretell what God has already said. And if I will tell you what God has already said, I'm really a prophet because I'm just repeating what God has already said. But a prophet by definition says what God has already said. Agree? All right. But do you know there's nine times in the scripture where Jesus said, but the prophet said this, but I say. Now, wait a minute. See, these men, they liken Jesus as a prophet and a prophet's role is only to repeat what God has already said. But nine times the Lord said, but it is written, or the prophet said this, but I say this. And by him saying, I say, he's taken on the role of God. Wow. He's taken on the role of his rightful place of being God himself in a fleshly man. And that's why they wanted to kill him. Now, so you're asking, well, why is that important? It means everything. If you believe that Jesus was just a prophet, you're missing out on his kingship. 
He was as much God and he was king in the cradle as he was three days beyond the cross. He just had to wait a few years while he was in the cradle. He had to get past 33 and a half years before he was crucified and resurrected. And on the third day of his resurrection, he was coronated as king of heaven and earth. And he's been king ever since. So nine times he says in the scriptures, the prophet says this, but I'll tell you, I say this. So God is not a prophet. God the Father is not a prophet. God the Father, he decrees something and he declares something and he demonstrates what he has decreed and has declared because that's who God is. Jesus is not just an announcer of what God says. Jesus is God made flesh and walked among us. That's why the Jews wanted to kill him. If he just took on the role as being a prophet, they'd have let him go. But they didn't. And neither did he. Matter of fact, the, the woman at the well, John chapter four, she's having a conversation back and forth and back and forth. And she said, why don't you even talk to me? I'm, I'm the wrong, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. I got the wrong color of skin. We come from different church backgrounds. And she's got all the excuses. Where did dinosaurs go to and blah, blah, all kinds of things. And she said, well, I'm confused. Do I, do I worship Mount Gerizim or Mount Moriah? Do I go to the First Baptist or the Second Baptist? Do I go to the Pentecostal or the Church of Christ? Is, is music loud or is it not loud? Can I clap my hands or hold my hands? Can I raise my hands or do I sit on my hands? And this is what he said. He said, lady, no matter what you do, what mountain you go to, you're, you're not getting it right at all, no matter what you do. Because the, the one you need to be worshiping is standing right in front of you. And she said, well, I know that when Messiah comes, that he'll explain everything to you. And this is what he said. He said, to whom you're speaking to about Messiah, I am him. He wasn't claiming to be a prophet. He was claiming to be king. And what did she do? She got it. There was prophets running out the ears in Jerusalem, but when he claimed kingship, Messiahship. What did she do? She dropped her bucket and off she went. And she told everybody, come see a man that told me all that I've ever did. She spoke eight or nine, 10, 11 words and changed the whole country, a whole city. The reason why that is so important because when you simply see Jesus as a prophet, when you just see Jesus simply in, in a rendered down form, you're not doing him service. He's king. And he was king in the cradle. He was king before the foundations of the earth. He fulfilled and satisfied many roles of the Father. But the idea this morning, the keys to the kingdom has been given to us that we would have a great understanding of what kingdom principles are. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about kingdom principles. Quit worrying about when the rapture bus comes. Quit worrying about streets of gold and gates of pearl. Quit worrying about any of that. We have to deal with now, right now. Who's got your heart right now? Who's got your heart? Who's got it? Where is it? Because there's an old saying that he that controls the heart controls the hands. So the idea this morning that we're going to talk about, especially next, next week, but kingdom principles are so important because that 
He's more than a prophet. And Hebrews gives you the understanding. He's, he's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than the law of Moses. He's better than Melchizedek. He's better than all of it. Jesus is better or greater than all these things because he's king. So if he is king, then isn't it kind of important we understand kingdom principles? See? And so the answer is yes. So we are not members of a religion. I'm a citizen of his kingdom. I'm obedient to the king. And in so, 2,000 years ago plus, he's giving these men examples of what the kingdom of heaven is like. So you can basically, there were the kingdom Jesus spoke about in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, usually the first three. The first three is referred to as synopsis in gospel. The fourth one is not. John's not it's synoptic in gospel because it's not the same. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke are. They kind of repeat and, and overlap one another, but John really doesn't. They say some things every once in a while that kind of overlaps, but, but the kingdom of heaven and, and Luke and Matthew and Mark can be put in two categories that these people understood very well. So we're going to do this in very simplest forms today. Two forms, farming and fishing. The kingdom of heaven is like farming and fishing. It's that simple. It was a language that these men knew. So this morning, I'm trying to I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you that, that the kingdom of heaven was walking among men and Jesus was explaining to these men when the kingdom will come and when will it come? It will come the third day of his resurrection of his resurrection, and then by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's when it began to invade into mankind and change mankind. But you'll see it in two different areas that they're very familiar with. And we're going to touch these and we're going to pick up next week. Number one, farming. It was a word that we get for agriculture. Now, some of you know this because we talked about this, but this is so simple. This is the kingdom in living color right here. Agriculture. Agriculture is made by two words in the Greek, agra and cult. Agra means vegetations or edible crops. Cult means unorthodox. It means it doesn't belong here. It's unusual. It's strange. It's not normal. By definition, it means it doesn't belong here. The reason why I know this is because I took FF, FFA in, in high school and I learned what agriculture was. Larry Mayton was a good ag teacher, but he began to explain this. And being at 15 years ago, 15, when I was 15 years old, it, it kind of seemed weird at the moment, but I understand it now. Agriculture means vegetation and crops that are growing where it shouldn't be growing. So I was born in Odessa, Texas. And I was born there and we went back because my father was in the oil field and we moved back and I finally migrated to Oklahoma when I was about nine or eight and so stayed there. But I will tell you in Odessa, Texas, has anybody been to Midland or Odessa or south of Abilene? Okay, well you're very well aware. This is a picture of the agriculture in Odessa, Texas. This was taken in my backyard, I think. 
Nobody had to plant that mesquite tree. Nobody had to plant the tumbleweeds. Nobody had to plant cactus. Nobody had to plant any of that because it just came with the territory. No farmers out there with a John Deere or Kubota planting mesquite trees. It's indicative of the terrain. So when you drive out there, when you drive out there, this is when you kind of head out and you get to Tucumcari and you either go west or south. It doesn't matter. This is it. That's it. But anytime you go to Odessa, Texas, and you see something like this, first of all, you're having a heat stroke. <laughs> but anytime you drive south of Tucumcari, south of Flagstaff, anywhere down through Odessa, Texas, and you see a pasture that kind of looks like that, you can say to yourself in English, there is agriculture. Here is vegetation that doesn't belong here. And what it's telling you is this, that the terrain and the landscape and the territory was designed to grow cactus, mesquite, and, 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 and tumbleweeds. <coughs> but evidently, somebody came in and planted that. And that doesn't belong here. That's not normal for Odessa. That would be strange in Odessa. That would be unorthodox in Odessa. That would be a cult in Odessa, Texas. And what it's telling you, somebody planted that on a barren land. Remember what he said in Genesis chapter two? God placed man in the in the Garden of, mm -mm, Garden in Eden. We're so fast and loose to say Garden of Eden, Garden in Edenu. So we're, we're so quick to just to spew things out, and that's not what the scripture means at all. That God put man in the Garden in, in Eden. The word Garden is an oasis, but Eden is Edenu. It's a typical Iraqian landscape that looked like Odessa, Texas. No greenery, no shrubbery, no nothing. And what did God do? He took Edenu, which is the landscape of hills and rocks, mesquite trees and all that stuff, and God said, I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna fence off a place and make a garden spot that I'll put man because that, that landscape was not indicative of vegetation that would look like that. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like agriculture. That you're going to live in a society that's dead, decayed, empty, hollow, meaningless, hot, dry, arid, no life, no greenery, no nothing. But I'm going to do something in your life. And when the king is risen from the dead and the, and the king's spirit on that day of Pentecost begin to move in, something wonderful is going to happen. And the process back then began to happen. 
you that have no ability to grow anything that is good in the sight of God, it's amazing now that you're bearing fruit that's in the likeness of God because there's nothing good in any one of you outside of the presence of God's goodness. You can't do it. You can't bear it. Matter of fact, if we could just take snapshots of your heart years ago, it looked like the picture of Odessa, Texas. I mean, there was nothing growing except a couple old lizards, and now we kind of look like old lizards, but just nothing dead. And but, but what happens is agriculture. Somebody's going to look at you and drive by and say, you know what? I knew you when you were desolate. I knew you when you were diseased. I knew you when there was no life, no greenery, no nothing in you. But I look at you now and there's life and there's laughter and there's happiness. There's the fruitfulness of God. How can that be? And the answer is this. It's not that you got it right. It's that God got it right. Because on your own and by yourself, you cannot produce anything in the likeness of God outside of agricultural, outside of somebody doing something in your life. That's the king. That's the king. So if there's any good that's coming out of you, just give God the glory. If, if there's any kindness that comes out of you, you can say, listen, I appreciate it, but you know, you know by nature we're all rats. Yeah, so it's all the glory goes to God. Amen. And I know we like to improve and really manicure ourselves in the mirror, but you know what? The greenery and the vegetation, the fruit that we bear and the product that we yield it's only an indicator that somebody came and did something in our lives that was not indicative of our landscape. But I don't know about you, but I, we know some of us that were, we all, we all knew somebody that was a, a real rat before God got a hold of them. And now God has done something wonderful in their life. That's agriculture. It means God has created fruits and vegetables and greenery and shrubbery and crops in a deserted place that is normally would not grow there. And it's all him. He said, that's what's going to happen when the king shows up. And the second one, very quickly, is fishing. And this is kind of a funny thing because I'm going to get back to the farming next week because it's kind of important, but... Farming and fishing, very simple. Luke chapter 5, verse 10 says this. And so it was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which was his cousin. They were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, quit worrying about things from now on that I'm going to teach you to catch men. The reason why this is kind of important is because that history tells us that Simon Peter he had a business. He owned about 21 to 23 commercial boats. He was a big fisherman. And, and, and he understand this play of words, but Jesus said, I'm going to teach you to catch fish. Not only is the kingdom about farming, about agriculture, but it's about fishing because these men understand the process of fishing. But the key word is catch men. I'll make you fishers of men, sometimes people say, but the word catch is the correct word. The word catch is a word called zagreo. Two words, zagreo, it's a funny word. 
Zugreo by definition means is to capture or to take alive, to put in a safe and a secure environment, keeping these creatures from being coming extinct. Hang on a minute. Zugreo is a word that means to capture or take alive something and place it in a safe and a secure environment, keeping those creatures from becoming extinct. It's where we get an English word for the zoo. How many went to a zoo in Oklahoma City? Just raise your hand. How many's ever seen a, a, just a typical house cat there? What about a, a, a chihuahua dog in a zoo? What, what about a, just a typical field mouse? Why not? You know what a zoo is? A zoo is a place that's designed for wonderful creatures, wild creatures, that are beauty in colors and beauty in spirit. And the zoo is made that they can take these animals, not to a taxidermist, but to a zoo and bring them in and care for them, watch over them and protect them because they're trying to become extinct because of man's got an itchy trigger finger. Anybody ever tried to go bow hunting at a zoo? I don't recommend it. We got some big hunters here. I mean, don't ever wear your camo to the zoo and climb in the, the nearest tree. You'll have consequences. A zoo is made for creatures that are trying to be extinguished from the face of the earth and brought into a place where people can come and look at them that would normally not get the opportunity to look at. Listen to what Jesus is saying. I'm saying it to you this morning. Peter says that you are a peculiar people. You're strange. You're weird. Turn to somebody, tell them you're a, you're a weird guy. You're unusual. You're not like the household cats. You're not like a, just a domestic mutt. You're not just like a field mouse running through the field. You are something unique made by God. You've been designed perfectly by God. And here's the deal. As believers and sons and daughters of God, you better pay attention to me this morning. There is an all out attack to extinguish you from the face of the earth Amen. right now. There are poachers waiting for you in the parking lot right now. There are magazines that are set in a particular place on the bookshelf waiting for you to go by when you pick up a dozen eggs. Your enemy is trying to extinguish the people of God from this earth. And Jesus said, I'm gonna teach you how to catch men. I'm going to teach you the ability and the art when the king becomes in that positional place, empowered by the Spirit of God, I'm going to teach you, which he did on the day of Pentecost. He did it. Peter started to bring men and women into a place that's secure and safe 
to keep you from being extinguished by your enemy. This church is a zoo. Welcome to the zoo. We got rhinos and hippos. We got them all here. But you know what? This is a, a safe place for you to come. I wasn't there. I'm going to tell my son, Jeremy. I wasn't there. I heard a conversation. I don't know. But it's between him and my wife. I don't know that. But I'm going to say it because we all love one another. We're all family. But my son, Jeremy, this guy right here, went to a downtown business a few days ago, a week ago, and blah, blah, blah. And somebody come to him and said, hey, blah, blah, blah. They, they used to come to church here. Don't anymore. Whatever reason, you know, I'm glad for it. But whatever reason, and they, you know, they won't come to me, but they, they said, hey, blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And Jeremy's just kind of ignoring them, say, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then they just wanted to pry, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he, and he looks at this woman and he said, I don't know, my dad doesn't gossip. Thank you. Thank you. You see what happens is that there are poachers that are setting traps for you right now. Whether it be gossip, stinginess, stealing, whatever it may be. Something on the YouTube, something on a magazine rack, something hidden in a, in a cabinet, in a, in a bottle that says, don't do it. You know why? Because your enemy is wanting to extinguish God's creatures from the face of the earth. And you'll always have mutts. And unfortunately, we're always going to have cats. But there are creatures that are beautifully marked and designed that are not running in city streets and up and down the pastures of Long Grove. And these things are wonderful creatures of God. And they bring them in, protect them, and house them, and feed them because they keep them from someone killing them. I'm doing my very best to keep the enemy from cutting your head off. And some people are bound and determined to stick their head in the guillotine. But I'm here to tell you this morning, Welcome to the zoo. We're not so interested in we are because God's the only one can save you. But once you get saved, I'm gonna invite you into this zoo that we can keep an eye on you and help you and love you and preserve you that you'll live a long life that'll honor God. And people can come by and be on public display. That, so this is what it's like to have a relationship with God. So that's my desire for every one of you that are here today. The kingdom of heaven is really about agriculture. God has done something in your heart that was not indicative when you were born. He had to do it. And number two, be fishers of men or how to catch men. And thank you for inviting people to church. Thank you for bringing people to this service because really what you're doing is that you're bringing them to a place that's safe, and it's a refuge and we'll feed them the word of God and we'll watch over them and we'll protect them because their home and their marriages and their life and their, and their sanity is at risk of being eliminated from the face of the earth right now. And that's the role that you play here as zookeepers. Isn't that amazing? So the best thing I can tell you this morning when the kingdom of heaven is here and it is here among us 
He's doing something great in your life. But number two, he's bringing you to a place where he'll watch you and care for you and love you. You're surrounded by people who care for you. Turn to two people and say, I really love you. I care for you. My job is to watch over you. Welcome. Welcome to the zoo. Father, for every trap that was set against your sons and daughters this morning through the years that, 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 that should have done them in, but it did not. The drug overdose that should have removed them from the face of the earth, but still yet because of your grace and your destiny in their up on this earth that they're still here today, you have a plan and a purpose for your people. So thank you for this, this body of believers. Thank you for this place that you have not only saved us, but you brought us to a place of safety and security. And so now that we have a responsibility to catch men as well, we have a responsibility by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God and your kingdom principles to help men unlock their potential of knowing you. Help men to unlock the blessings of God that waits and is store for them and bring them to this place where they can have safety and their children can be raised in a place where it's free from the contaminations of this earth. Thank you for that. And I pray that your kingdom principles will continue to live in our heart as we declare the goodness of God in Jesus' name. For about the next 20 seconds, I told you last week, take 10 seconds to think about someone that's made it possible in your life for you to be here. Take 20 seconds to simply be reminded of someone that had planted wonderful seeds in your barren ground. Seeds of God's kindness and His goodness and His love. You're not the same person that you used to be. You used to grow thorns and thistles, and now that you're growing fruits that are in the likeness of God, greenery, shrubbery, wonderful crops. And it was God. But God used someone specific in your life to till the ground and plant the seed to water you, to love you, to care for you. And that's why you become the man and the woman you are today. Can we not pay that forward? Can we not make it our homework this week to catch men and women? And they're hurting and they're wounded and they're broken. Can we not catch men and women for the kingdom and bring them to a place that's safe and secure and that's built upon the principles of Christ our King? And the answer is yes, we can. For all the times that I kicked and screamed against my father, 
I give everything in the bank account to have 10 minutes with him today. Of all the times that I, I laughed at and mocked and rebelled against the teachings of my father and my grandfather, I'd give almost anything in the world to have five minutes to tell them, your prayers and your efforts was not in vain. The seeds that you sown was in good fruit. So this morning, I pay it forward to you. I'm gonna to continue to sow and I'm gonna to continue to water and I'm gonna to continue to love and watch over you because greater days are, they await the body of Christ. And Father, we give you thanks this morning in Jesus' name. And all the zoo people said amen, amen. and amen. Stand with me if you would please and give the Lord a praise offering if you would please. He is worthy this morning. Welcome to the zoo, he said. Communion service, if you'll please make your way today. Turn about two people and put your arm around them and tell them, I'm glad you're here this morning. Man, I need your words of affirmation and confirmation. I appreciate you. You're loved. You're needed. Glad you're here. We're glad you're here. That night he took two sacraments. The last thing that we were told to do had everything to do with the bread and the cup. He took the bread and he lifted it up and he said, this is my body that was broken for you. Your broken dreams, your broken hearts, your broken lives, just your brokenness. Jesus became broken that we could become whole. He gave them the bread and they took the bread. He gave them the cup and he said, this cup is now the, the cup in the New Testament, my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And as often as you take the bread and you take the cup, do this in remembrance of me. If you're here this morning, you're visiting, we celebrate Holy Communion every week. You don't have to fill out a report card to come. This is the bidding of the Lord. And I found out through the years that every time that I take the cup and take the bread, it gives me the opportunity to remember Him and His goodness. For all, instead of growing weeds and thorns and thistles in your life, now then you're growing fruits and vegetables that can feed your family and this church. Thank you for that. Father, we bless you in Christ's name. Amen.